Now we turn to this morning's scripture reading. Today we're going to conclude, we're going to wrap up our sermon series for Advent and Christmas, The House of the Lord. Throughout this sermon series, we've been talking about the places where God has lived, the places where God was willing to dwell in order to be closer and closer to this world and the people who are loved by God. And we began this journey six weeks ago in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. Today we conclude this journey by looking at the very last part of the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Sharing our scripture reading with us today, we are honored to be joined by our own district superintendent, the Reverend John Heiss. Listen for God's voice as District Superintendent Heiss shares with us this word. A reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4 and 22 through 24. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, now that we've made it to the new year, I want to take a moment to pause and look back at one of the strangest stories from the last year. Back in November, just about a week before Thanksgiving, a helicopter was flying over the Red Rock Desert out in Utah. The crew in the helicopter were looking for bighorn sheep. But as they were flying over the desert that day, they noticed something unusual down on the desert floor below them. They saw some sort of an object gleaming and glinting in the sun. They decided to put the helicopter down to take a closer look, and when they got up close to the object, they couldn't quite believe what they were seeing. There in the desert, they discovered a stainless steel monolith, a 10-foot-tall pillar of metal planted in the rock in the middle of the wilderness. Now, the men looked around to see if there was anyone or anything that could help them make sense of what they were seeing, but there was no one. And there was nothing, only rocks and sand for as far as the eye could see. Well, they got back in their helicopter and they headed home. And that night, they started telling people what they had seen. And pretty soon, as word started to get out, this monolith in the desert became a national news story and then an international news story. People all around the world started talking about this monolith. And people started going out to the desert in Utah to see it for themselves. People started speculating about what it was and where it had come from and why it was there. 
A lot of people noticed that this monolith bore a striking resemblance to another mysterious monolith from the science fiction movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. Now, some people joked that maybe the monolith had been left behind by space aliens. Some people seriously suggested that maybe the monolith had been left behind by space aliens. A lot of people speculated that maybe the monolith was some sort of an art project, but no artist came forward to claim responsibility. And then, just when it seemed like everything had been said about this monolith that could possibly be said, suddenly, the mystery got deeper. On the other side of the world, in the forests of Romania, another monolith was discovered. It looked just like the first one, a 10-foot-tall pillar of stainless steel. And then another monolith was discovered on a mountaintop in California. And then all around the world, monoliths started appearing. They were discovered by the dozens. More than 70 monoliths were discovered in just the period of a few days. Now people wondered, what is going on? Are we about to be invaded? Is earth under threat? What kind of a message is somebody trying to send to us? It turns out that the mystery of most of these other monoliths was easily solved. It didn't take long for, for people to figure out that most of these other monoliths were just copycats. They were just cheap imitations that had been put up by people who were trying to sell used cars or cash in on a viral news story. But the mystery of the original monolith out in the desert in Utah remained. And then suddenly, one day, the mystery grew deeper still when the monolith out in the desert in Utah disappeared. And one day people went out to the desert to take a look at the monolith and they saw that it was no longer there. The only thing left behind was just a hole in the desert rock. And people wondered, where had it gone? Who took it away? How did it vanish so suddenly? Now this also turned out to be a fairly easy mystery to solve. Within a few hours, a group of men came forward and took responsibility for removing the monolith. Now, they said that they had taken the monolith away from that place in the desert because they were afraid that the wilderness was being destroyed by all of those people going out to take a look at the monolith. Now, there were no roads to get out to that particular spot in the middle of nowhere. And so people were driving straight over the desert floor. They were driving over plants and native wildlife, making an awful mess on their way out into the middle of nowhere. And there were no waste baskets out by the monolith, and so people who came to see it were leaving behind great big piles of trash. And there were no outhouses, no restrooms out by the monolith, and so many people were leaving behind piles of something even worse than trash. And this group of men who loved the wilderness and didn't want to see it destroyed decided that the best way to save the wilderness was by taking down the monolith. And so in the middle of the night, they went out to the desert and they tore it down and they carted it away. The mystery of where that Utah monolith came from hasn't been solved, and it might never be solved. But even so, I believe that there are some lessons, there are some things that you and I, followers of Jesus, can learn from this story if we're paying careful attention. The first thing we can learn from this story is that we are surrounded by people who are searching for a mystery, looking for a sense of awe and wonder in this world and in their lives. For hundreds of years now, followers of Jesus have thought that the best way to introduce people to God, 
The best way to connect people to Jesus was by trying to answer all of their questions. It turns out people don't want somebody to answer all of their questions. What people are really looking for, what people are really hungry for, is questions that don't have easy answers. Questions that might not be solvable at all. What people are looking for is is a sense of mystery. A sense of something that we can't wrap our minds around. The second thing we can learn from this story is that people in this world are looking for salvation. Why did so many people go out in the desert to see this monolith? Some of them went out there because they were hoping to find evidence of a higher power. Many people went out into the desert to see if they could find evidence that we are not alone. A sign that there is someone, there is something powerful enough to change the course of human events and pull us out of the mess that we've made of this world. People are searching for mystery. They're looking for salvation. And the third thing we can learn from this story is that this world is filled with cheap imitation mysteries and phony messiahs who are perfectly happy to cash in on our desire for mystery and salvation. This world is filled with powers that promise to bring salvation but end up bringing only waste and refuse and destruction. This world is filled with car salesmen who promise salvation, promise healing, promise a higher power, but end up leaving us empty and taking us nowhere good at all. John the Revelator understood all of this. In today's scripture reading, we have a passage from the very last book of the Bible. The book of Revelation was written by a man named John, and John is a mysterious figure. We really don't know very much about this man named John who wrote the book of Revelation. We know his name. We know that he was a leader in the church. And we know that he got caught up in a wave of persecution that swept through the Roman Empire. Now, there came a moment when the Roman emperor decided that the followers of Jesus were a problem that needed to be solved. Now, the Roman emperor was not the kind of politician who simply demands that people pay their taxes. The emperor also demanded that people worship him as a god. And why wouldn't people want to worship me as a god, the emperor said. My armies bring peace to all the world. My empire brings civilization and holds back the barbarian hordes. Why wouldn't people want to worship me? And many people were happy to worship the emperor. Many people were happy to go to their local temple and burn incense and make a sacrifice and pray to the emperor. But there were people who refused to play along. The followers of Jesus stubbornly claimed that there is only one true God. And not only that, not only did they refuse to worship the emperor, but they worshiped another man, a man who wasn't even a Roman citizen, a man who had been killed, executed, put to death by the Roman Empire for criminality and terrorism. Not only that, but the followers of Jesus claimed that this man had risen from the dead, that he was more powerful than all the might of the Roman Empire. He was more powerful even than death itself. All of these claims seemed ridiculous and offensive to the emperor. And finally, he decided to do something about it. He ordered a persecution of the followers of Jesus. 
And the authorities decided to make an example of this man named John, this leader in the church. They dragged him out of his home and they took him to a place called the Isle of Patmos, a kind of ancient Alcatraz. There on the Isle of Patmos, John was isolated. He was cut off from his friends, cut off from his church, cut off from his community. The only time he got news of the outside world was when his captors, his guards, would tell him about which of his friends had been killed in the most recent round of persecutions. And maybe you and I, now more than ever, can have some sort of a sense, some sort of an idea of what John experienced there on the Isle of Patmos. Maybe after the last year, after all the things we've experienced, now we can finally begin to imagine a little bit of what it was like for John trapped on that island, cut off from his friends year after year, day after day, receiving news of death and friends who had been parted from this world. There on the island, cut off from his community with no other form of support, John turned to the only place he could for comfort, for hope, and for encouragement. He turned to God in prayer. Day after day, John got down on his knees and reached out to God. Day after day, John talked to God. And then one day, God answered John's prayers. One day, God spoke to John. God gave John a vision. As John was praying one day, God said, John, I know that things look bad. And I know it looks like things are only going to get worse. But I want to show you something. I want to show you the deeper spiritual reality beneath all of the things that you can see happening in the world right now. And then God gave John a series of visions. God showed him things that no human eye could see. John, in his vision, saw a figure seated on a throne, ruling over all creation. But that figure seated on the throne wasn't the Roman emperor. It was Jesus who had been crucified. And all around the throne, John saw his friends, the same friends who had been killed by the emperor in the persecution. But they weren't dead, they were alive. And they were standing around the throne and they were singing in the heavenly choir. And then God showed John the downfall of the whole Roman Empire. John saw that even though it seemed like the empire was the most powerful force in all the world, and even though it seemed like the empire was going to go on forever, John was able to see in his vision that the Roman Empire already was beginning to fall to pieces. Already it was beginning to crumble and fade away. God showed John all of these things, and then at the very end of his vision, at the very end of the Bible, God showed John one more thing. John, in his vision, saw a city coming down from heaven and filling and transforming all the earth. And in the book of Revelation, John describes the city that God showed him in his vision. John saw that the city had walls, but the gates of the city were open all day long, and it was never nighttime there. And John saw that there was a garden in the city. And in the garden there were trees, and on the trees there were fruit. And in that fruit, all of the nations found healing and peace. Best of all, John saw that in that city, there were no temples, there were no churches, there were no altars, there were no worship services, there were no Sunday school classes. Nobody was teaching anyone else about God. Because everyone was able to see God face to face. 
God lived in the city among the people. And all of the people knew God. And God dwelled in every human heart. This is the last promise of hope and encouragement that the Bible leaves us with. This is the last image that the Bible gives us before we turn the final page and close the cover. I love this image. It's a powerful image. And the thing that makes it so powerful is that even as it builds up our hope, even as it gives us reasons to hold on and have faith, it also tears down the false monoliths that promise cheap salvation. Even as he was writing the words of his vision down, John had to understand that the vision he had been given by God was the polar opposite of the vision that was offered by the Roman emperor. Now the emperor said, my armies will bring peace to all the world. But in his vision, John saw that peace doesn't come through war and bloodshed. He saw that peace comes when we plant gardens and when we share the fruit of those gardens with our neighbors. The emperor said, I will save the world by building walls and holding back the barbarian hordes. But in his vision, John saw that salvation doesn't come into this world by building walls. Salvation comes when we open doors and welcome strangers. And the emperor demanded that people go to the temple and worship him. But John saw that the true God isn't like that at all. The one true God doesn't demand our worship upon penalty of exile or death. The one true God doesn't live in temples or churches. The one true God doesn't live in Washington, D.C. or Rome. The one true God doesn't live on a mountaintop far away. The one true God lives in our hearts, lives in our homes, lives in the faces of our neighbors. And when we understand that, when we start looking for God in those places, when we start looking for God in the faces of people who have been executed and put to death by the empires of this world, then we will get close to the mystery that has the power to save our souls. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks because you have chosen to dwell among us. When we walked away from you, when we could not bear to look in your face, you pursued us. You followed us into this world. You moved closer and closer and closer to us until you were dwelling in our own hearts. God, we pray that that day would come when we live in the city where we see you face to face. God, we pray for that day to come when every, every soul knows you. Every person feels your love. God, lead us to that city. Make us openers of doors and planters of gardens until Jesus returns and heals all creation. In his name we pray. Amen.